What's good? What's good? It's C. Wood. Back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South. It is real sports with real southern flavor. My name is Kerry Wood. Just call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And this is the 29th episode, man. And uh, we're moving right along. We're here at the at the end of July, we've got uh, we've had media days going on for the last couple of weeks in the college football ranks. We've got training camp going on in the NFL. It's about to get real. We've got football right around the corner. And uh, I know a lot of people are excited about it. My timeline on Twitter is <laughs> pretty much, I mean, it's, it's always full of NFL talk. I mean, that's that's going to be a given. It doesn't matter what's going on uh, in the sports world. You know, in the NBA season, whether it's whatever season we're in, my timeline is going to be really full with NFL talk. But obviously it gets amped up as we get closer to the, uh, to the start of the season. And that's where we are right now. And it's an exciting time, man. It really is. But you will notice that... Um, on the cover of this episode, I have Zion Williamson. So that tells you, obviously, we're going to talk some NBA. And we're still in the middle of the business season for the NBA. Free agency. Still got trades being talked about across the uh, league and everything. So we're going to get into that. But in actuality, I think this more is going to, you know, this episode is going to be more uh, heavily, uh, it's going to be... It's going to be uh, a heavier college football episode than anything else. With media days going on, you know, we had the SEC media days. We had a lot going on there. We had SWAC media days that went down in Birmingham. We got some. I got some, a little bit about that. Uh, Coach Prime um, with some of the things that he said last week. Uh, we got a lot going on. It's just <laughs> it's just the best way to put it. And, uh, again, I, I just think it's a very exciting time, you know, the, 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 to be a sports fan. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, so, we are, like I said, we're going to get into some football. We're going to get into a little NFL as well. Uh, we've got a lot going on around the NFL ranks. But we're going to probably get deeper into the NFL here in the coming weeks. This is Today is not really that show. But, we, but, but it doesn't mean we're just going to forget about the NFL. We're not going to ignore the NFL. You know, so, you know, football season is here. And the thing is, it really never left if you really want to be real about it because the USFL just ended their season less than a month ago. And again, the Birmingham Stallions come out victorious. Giddy up. <laughs> and I'm still super proud of those Stallions. Here, right here in Birmingham, Alabama is where I reside. So obviously, I uh, check them out a lot and I'm super proud of them. And I'm super uh Excited about the USFL coming back for season two next season. Also coming up next season, the XFL. They made their real announcement. I mean, we've seen some announcements here and there. We've seen some uh, news leaked about what we, we could what we could expect, what cities would have teams and all of that. All of those things um, have been confirmed. And the XFL is going to begin play next season. And they're going to start immediately after uh, after the Super Bowl, which is going to be interesting. So 
you know, the, the AAF, the America, the Alliance of American Football did that same thing. I think the biggest mistake <laughs> the AAF made was the owners, whoever the guys that kind of built that league up, they didn't have any money in the bank. I mean, I, I mean, literally, I mean, it was, there were stories lit of them literally having five dollars in the bank, <laughs> which was ridiculous. That ultimately was their biggest mistake, but I think their next largest mistake was playing the season, starting the season immediately after the Super Bowl. So that's what the XFL is going to do next season. We'll see how that goes. But what it also means, if you sit there, if you look at it, because this past season the USFL didn't start until April, of course. So that kind of gave a couple of months for, you know, in between the Super Bowl and the start of the USFL season. We're not going to have that this season. Next season, rather. The XFL is going to be in February. And then I'd assume they would be ending their season maybe what, around May. But before that, <laughs> we got the USFL starting back next April. So we're really, we are, we're, we've got it just about where we've got football year-round. And I think a lot of people really want that. We're going to see just how many people really want it, though. We're going to really see by the TV ratings next season in these two leagues. Once they go down, we're going to see how many players, you know, the, the tight players that are going to have to be spread around these two leagues is going to be very interesting, to say the least. So, you know, hopefully it's not going to be too watered down. Hopefully it's going to really be a good product on both ends. We'll just have to, you know, kind of have to wait and find out what we get. Anyway, man, uh, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. And usually the way I started off, I started off with my starting five. And that's what we're going to do right now with my starting five of of this episode. All right, y'all, we're going to start off my starting five and my number one topic that we're going to go into it's going to be Zion Williamson the, the cover athlete that we have on this particular episode um, and you see that I have the episode titled signed sealed delivered okay and I have a period behind signed and sealed but I have a question mark behind delivered okay my reason for that is this uh, obviously we know the type of talent that Zion Williamson is we know that he is a generational type talent if he can uh, continue doing what he's, you know, basically, well, if he can stay on the court, okay, if we can get continuity from him, we know what type of talent that he has. The question, obviously, is his durability. And that is the, the reason why I have that uh, question mark behind delivery. Is he going to be able to deliver exactly what we think that he can? And I think you will sit there and you look at this New Orleans, Orleans Pelicans basketball team, and I think y'all also kind of have to question, is that chemistry going to be there? Because this is a team that really made strides there in the second half of the season. They got themselves into the playoffs, and they sat there and made the Phoenix Suns sweat big time. Let's just be real about it. And uh, they put everyone on notice around the NBA that this team is going to be something to deal with going forward. And all anyone can really think about while this was going on is, man, they look like this without Zion. What are they going to look like with Zion? But 
I could kind of see the, it kind of going the other way. While a lot of people are seeing it as being a huge positive, I'm not going to say it could be a huge negative, but I could see it maybe not being as positive as some people may think. And that's, you know, again, I think it all has to do with chemistry and everything. I think you sit there, you look at what they've built. You have, obviously, you have a guy like Brandon Ingram who's really turning into a really good ball player. Uh, all-star game type player. Uh, you look at their pickup uh, uh, trade deadline or whatever, C.J. McCollum. I think you look at guys that uh, come on for them. The emergence of Herb Jones was huge for them last season. So, you know, you look at all of that. I mean, there there's some other players that I'm, you know, I, I could get into, but I don't want to go too deep right now, but I mean, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Pelicans fan, but how does Zion fit into all of that? Then I think you you have a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, who's the big guy, who's the center for this basketball team. How does he fit? We never got to see any of that last season. We never got to see it. So I just question just a little bit. I mean, I don't question Zion's talent or anything like that. This dude checks all the boxes that you could ever want checked. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, as far as especially being a big guy at his size, the the boxes that he does not check so far are durability. This dude has only played 85 games in the three seasons that he has been in the NBA. 85. Obviously, that's got to get a lot better. And then, again, like I said, the chemistry has got to be there for this team because you sit there and you look at the West, it is... <laughs> it continues to be stacked, man. It, it just does. From the Golden State Warriors, who just lifted the trophy just a few weeks ago, you've got uh, the Clippers, who I think could be really good. A lot of people think the Clippers could surpass Golden State next season. You've got the Denver Nuggets, who should have Jamal Murray back to go with the Joker and all those dudes on that team. You've got Dallas with Luka Doncic. You've got... The Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant, and those dudes. You've got uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves who just went out and got Rudy Gobert. Now, you know, I'm not huge on that deal, but, again, this is a team that is, you know, we saw them in the playoffs last year, and they are trying to make strides to go deeper. So, I mean, the Pelicans could get lost in the shuffle. And uh, if things go just a little bit wrong. So hopefully Zion is going to be the guy uh, to bring all of that together in New Orleans and make and keep them as a uh, big-time contender out west. Anyway, that is my number one. My number two on my starting five, we're going to stay in the NBA. We're going to go <laughs> with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, no surprise there, right? Uh, this whole situation with Kevin Durant is really – amp things up and what has really been a pretty you know uh dull well it would have been anyway a pretty dull free agency period and we kind of figured it to be like that because i don't think there was really any big time talent and there and really this is definitely not a deep class of free agency um players or whatever that were available to the teams so we knew it was going to be a little bit dull, probably. But this Kevin Durant 
situation along you know the whole thing with Kyrie and all that has definitely amped things up a little bit we've had a couple trades that have gone down that have amped things up we still have some things uh, on the table right now the uh, the Donovan Mitchell situation there in Utah is is very much alive right now who knows where he's going to end up we got a lot going on there's no question about it so this Kevin Durant thing here now (laughs) We've had a couple teams that have flirted with the Nets or whatever. We had, uh, I think maybe one of the bigger ones was the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think there may have been a some maybe some talks, pretty you know fairly serious talks until the Nets kind of got around to what they wanted in return, and they wanted Anthony Edwards. You know, the dude that <laughs> looks like he could be the face of the franchise. For the Timberwolves for the next 15 years, they wanted him and uh, a couple other players that's on the team right now in in addition to five uh, first-round picks. I was like, well, you know, why don't you just throw in Justin Jefferson of the Vikings then and Byron Buxton of the Twins? (laughs) I mean, you might as well throw all of them in there. How about throwing uh, Lake Minnetonka in? (laughs) If If you're unaware of what Lake Minnetonka is, that is the lake where Prince took Apollonia in the movie Purple Rain. <laughs> if you remember that, I know that's you know, you know kind of an older movie, or whatever. But and you know, uh, may God, may Prince rest in peace. But uh, that is where Prince took Apollonia, I and mean, they kind of you know kind of did their thing or whatever in the movie, but. I mean, the Nets wanted everybody <laughs> in, in exchange for Kevin Durant. And so obviously, the Nets, you know, the, I'm sorry, the Timberwolves said no to all of that. So we've kind of had a no-go on a, you know, a lot of rumors so far. But this thing with the Boston Celtics that just surfaced a couple of days ago, seems to have, it seems to have some legs. I think it really does. And uh, right, you know, I think the first report, the initial report, was that where the Celtics were uh, basically offering Derek White, their reserve point guard, and I think that deal, that initial deal, included Jalen Brown. Well, obviously, I think the Nets kind of, at least that's what's been reported anyway, is that the Nets were not <laughs> warm to that one as, as well, which I can definitely understand that. So now we're looking at maybe Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart and Derek White. Uh, basically, they added, you know, Marcus Smart is kind of the sweetener to that deal. And uh, obviously some draft picks to go along with them, which could be interesting, obviously. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense as far as if you're going to do this deal, if you're the Nets, it makes a lot of sense for you to go ahead and do that deal, especially with them throwing Marcus Smart in there. I think it makes a lot of sense. But... uh you know, I'm I'm just, you know, I, again, from the Boston standpoint, it's really where I have the question because you're sitting there, you, okay, yeah, it's Kevin Durant. <laughs> okay, I mean, it, it, it is. But we're talking about a 34-year-old Kevin Durant, and this is still a 34-year-old Kevin Durant that just came back from major injury. I mean, and, and, and if you want to continue to be real about it, this is a Kevin Durant that kind of struggled last season in the playoffs. Now, granted, I understand that 
you know, he didn't have much help out there. Uh, didn't have James Harden. <laughs> he had Kyrie, but of course that was, you know, things were, and I don't know. I don't. I don't think they really ever had that full chemistry like you would like to have had because of everything that had gone on with Kyrie and his vaccination status and all of that. So, you know, you can kind of blame it on what you want, but still, in a lot of ways, Kevin Durant kind of struggled. So, do you want to blow all of that up if you're Boston? You, you know, this you're talking about giving away your second best player probably arguably your third best player on Marcus Smart, a guy that really is a guy that just is kind of the gel of your basketball team. I think really on both ends of the floor, if you want to be honest, that is, you know, for me, it's pretty risky. It's pretty risky deal, man. I'm just going to be real about it. So I don't know. I, 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 you know, I was, um, it's kind of funny to me because I think the Boston Celtics are at a point now where I think they could kind of start to kind of maybe build a culture with the players that they have now. Again, this is a team that just went to the finals. I mean, it'd be something different. We were talking about a team just went to the second round. And it was just clear, it was blatant that, okay, this is what they need. I mean, I don't know that Kevin Durant puts them over the top. I don't know that Kevin Durant puts them over the top in the East when you were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks being healthy or the Heat being healthy. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but you're talking about a Jalen Brown that's eight years younger. I mean, you can continue to grow this thing up. And it's really funny because I was, uh, I'm was i a huge Houston Rockets fan, and I have a, a fellow Rockets fan that I follow on Twitter that brought up a question, well, he it's not a question. He had a statement saying that you know, the Golden State Warriors were an anomaly. The way that they built their team and their, their franchise and the success that they've had and the way they've built it is an anomaly. And I was like, well, yeah, it is an anomaly. But I think it's an anomaly because a lot of these other teams a lot of players and well a lot of a lot of players and franchises just don't stick things out they don't you know once they kind of build something for a little while they see that you know that big time free agent or whatever they go after that or if they lose in a series that they felt like they should have won up oh, it's time to blow it up a lot of these franchises a lot of these players don't stick things out like that anymore that is to me is just that is the reason why it's an anomaly, because I can sit there in the last 22 years. Because I this this was my response to him. <laughs> I was like, look, in the last 22 years, we uh, to me we have two anomalies. We have the one anomaly being the Golden State Warriors, and they've won four titles here in the last eight years, seven years, whatever. There's another anomaly, and that anomaly is called San Antonio Spurs. If you look at the Spurs, they kind of built their team kind of the same way, their franchise, their culture, kind of the same way the Warriors did through the draft. As David Robinson was getting ready to retire, they win the championship. They they draft uh, Tim Duncan. They win the championship in 1999. <laughs> okay, a couple seasons go by. They lose to the Lakers. Uh, they, you know, the Lakers have their run, of course, with Kobe and Shaq. They come back, they win it in 03. 
They lose to the Lakers again. Uh, they come back. They win it again in 05. They win it again in 07. Then here comes the Lakers again. They win a couple times. Then here comes the, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and the Mavericks. And then here comes Oklahoma City with Westbrook, Harden, Durant. They get their thing going, and they beat the San Antonio Spurs, and they make it to the final. And so now those guys like Tony Parker and Ginobili, who they picked up really late in the draft. Both of those guys were late-round late pickups in the draft. They get those guys, and now those guys are starting to get old, and it's like, okay, well, maybe we need to kind of change things up. You know, we've got an older Duncan. We've got an older Tony Parker, older Emmanuel Ginobili. Then here comes Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> they pick him up, and they win it again in 2014. The, mo- the moral of the story is they stuck with what they had. They stuck with it. You know, they, they didn't they didn't venture away. And now, granted, you know, times were a little different. You know, we didn't have as many super teams or at least the discussion of super teams or whatever, or team, uh, players teaming up with friends and all that the way we have it now. But still, much like Golden State, you know, they they had the injury with Klay Thompson. They lost Kevin Durant. They had the injury with Steph. They didn't say, oh, well, just blow this thing up. They made one trade. They got Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> they made a couple draft picks. And here they are winning the championship again. I think the Celtics could be could be that next team in line to do something like that. If they keep Jalen Brown, who knows? But, if, you know, again, if they get Kevin Durant, they could win it next year or they couldn't. <laughs> I mean, it's it's to me, I think the Celtics are really at a crossroads with this decision if it comes down for them to get uh, Kevin Durant. It's very interesting, but, but, you know, like I was telling that dude on Twitter, man, I mean, the only reason uh, franchises like the Warriors or the Spurs are an anomaly is because teams, this franchise just aren't sticking it out. They're not seeing it, you know, they're not seeing it through. And if you want to really get technical about it, he's like, oh, well, that's just four championships. No, that's nine championships because the Spurs won nine, uh, five themselves in that period. And there's a lot of Western Conference finals and finals appearances mixed in there as well where they actually lost. That's where you, in my opinion, that's where you want your franchise to be. I don't want my, at least me, for me, I don't want my franchise to just go after one championship and then that's it. I want my my franchise to be good year in year out. We might win one championship, but we, you best believe we're going to be right there in the Western Conference Finals just about every year. That's what you want—the consistency. I don't know if you get that if you go at, go at Kevin Durant. You can't. I can't say that you're going to get it with, with Jalen Brown either. But I think I like my chances a little bit better with Jalen Brown. Anyway. That's my number two. I know that's a lengthy number two. <laughs> my number three on my list here are my starting five. We got to go with Baker Mayfield going to the Carolina Panthers. And that is a very interesting situation as we kind of talk a little bit in the NFL. As training camp starts, that is going to be a crazy situation there at Carolina. It, it just is. Um, 
the one thing about the Panthers, they're only going to have to pay Baker about five, five and a half million dollars uh, to have him, you know, to have his services and everything. They are going to be paying Sam Darnold around 18, 18 and a half, something like that. So I don't know if it's going to come this battle. because It's going to be, a, I think, a pretty good battle that Matt Rule is going to have to oversee. Uh, he kind of made a curious statement, though, saying that the players would have to decide it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what he means by that because I thought he was the head coach, and by a lot of people, a lot what a lot of people are saying, he may not be the head coach very long. So we'll see how that goes. But that's going to be an interesting, interesting situation. I think that it's a good pickup because for Carolina because I think that. There's not a lot of risk. I mean, obviously, like I said, they're only paying them like five million dollars or so. You bring, you know, you do have Sam Darnold there. If Sam Darnold wins the job, then it's really not a big deal because you're not paying Mayfield that much, and it's only you know one year. And so, uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If neither one of them work out, neither Darnold or Mayfield work out then you're probably going to be in a position where you can get to a pretty good quarterback through the draft next season. And there uh, should be no shortage of quarterbacks coming out of college next season. So you should be set <laughs> either way if you're the Panthers. So it's still going to be an interesting situation to see how things go there in Carolina. My number four on my starting five list, we've got to start with uh, talk about SEC media days and everything that has gone down swack media days. That is, I thought some crazy things that uh, kind of went down. A couple of those were uh, kind of involved the SEC and the swack. There was um, a couple questions asked there uh, about SEC teams playing HBCU squads. And I thought it was pretty interesting. And I'm going to talk a little bit deeper about that in my SEC, in my around the SEC segment. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, man. You know, uh, Coach Prime had some, you know, some questions asked of him there uh, at SWAT. There were some questions asked of Nick Saban, uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, and uh, uh, the, the head coach there at Mississippi State about playing HBCUs in the future. And I thought it was very interesting stuff, man. I, and, and I would like to see just what happens uh, with that subject. We'll see. Uh, obviously, the the big subject around SWAC media days was Jackson State. And what else is new? Jackson State is huge in the news, and no question about that. So, uh, you know, Coach Prime has his guys pretty much ready to go, you would think. That's, they should be an interesting team. I think the SWAC is going to be very interesting this season. We'll, uh, I think it's going to be uh, – I think there are two or three teams that could surprise in the SWAC. But obviously, the you know, again, the, the the focus is going to be on prime. That's just kind of the way it goes around HBCUs right now. Yeah, so uh, other than that, uh, there at SWAC Media Day in Birmingham, the biggest news I really saw uh, of, uh, that was obvious on the TV screen was uh, Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter coming in with a boot. Now, he was 
uh, there along with Shadur Sanders, quarterback of Jackson State, and of course uh, head coach Dion. Um, they did not really get into the, uh, to elaborate on what the, what the boot was all about, but he was definitely in a boot. They did not hide it at all, and uh, I, I am hearing now from some other uh, uh, publications or whatever, other uh, uh, blogs or whatever that were there at the event that it's looking like he has a high ankle sprain. Uh, they really didn't even address it on ESPN, which was kind of curious to me. I, I, <laughs> he's sitting there standing there with a boot. Um, this guy, who's the number one uh, recruit overall in the uh, class of 2021, and he chooses Jackson State. We all knew about that, where he chose Jackson State over Florida State and everything. And he's standing there in a boot. And no one really asked him about it. So, but again, we're hearing there's a high ankle sprain, but it was more of a precautionary move for him to wear the boot uh, while he was here in Birmingham. That's what, you know, that's kind of the word that we're seeing. So hopefully that's the case. And hopefully he's, hopefully he's going to be good to go uh, to start the season. That is uh, pretty much the indication that uh, has been told there uh, since then. Um, so anyway, that was the swag media day going on in Birmingham. My number uh, five on my starting five list, we're going to go back into some more college football with the USC-UCLA situation, leaving the Pac-12 in 2024 to head to the Big Ten. That was a huge, <laughs> huge story. It hit like a bomb when I saw it on Twitter. I was like, man, uh, you know, I, I, in a way, I'm not surprised to see something like that with what we're with what we're seeing in college football right now, where everyone's kind of trying to stake their claim to uh, what conference they want want to be in, and and of course some of the conferences are trying to uh, stake their claim on the, the teams and schools that they want to add to their conference because uh, you know the TV deals, all that good stuff, because it's headed toward that mega conference thing where we are going to have maybe three possibly four, uh, you know, huge leagues. Uh, I'm thinking maybe it's going to be like a three 20 uh, team each type league uh, type deal or whatever, uh, where they kind of break away from the rest of the NCAA, the rest of the FBS, and of course the FCS, and kind of do their own thing, kind of the power fives. And, and I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's really getting crazy. It's not – anything that I'm really looking forward to. I, I kind of wish we kind of keep things kind of the same way because I think this really, you know, while the, the little guys don't get a lot of the pie, they at least get a little slither of the pie. We at least saw a group of five team in Cincinnati make the playoff this past season. Uh, at least they do get the chance to get on the field. Uh, they, you know, they do get a spot. Uh, the group of five teams, if, if nothing else, they get a spot in the New Year's Six game or whatever. And, you know, if you continue to push them further and further out, again, group of five, FCS, HBCU, all those under the same umbrella, you can continue to push them further and further away from, um, you know, the, the, being at the, in the limelight in college football. And I just don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. I'm going to talk a little bit more about USC and UCLA specifically in my next segment. But uh, 
you know, USC and US, USC and UCLA headed to the Big Ten is crazy news. I'm just going to be real. And, again, like I say, I'm not really looking forward to that, <laughs> even though I think it, it's an exciting time. Don't get me wrong. Call me a purist. Call me more of a traditionalist. I just like keeping the little guy at least at least partially, partially in the mix. And uh, yeah, I don't see how that's going to be the case if we go forward. Anyway, we're going to, um, before I take my uh, first break, I'm going to uh, just want to talk about also the All-Star game. I was just happy to see Albert Pujols, Fat Albert, one of my favorite players ever. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. I was more than happy to see him at the All-Star game. I thought, uh, uh, shout out to MLB, the Major League Baseball, for uh, doing their All-Star game and uh, having he and Miguel Cabrera, for that for that matter, from the Detroit Tigers, Miggy. Uh, both these guys are uh, obviously first ballot Hall of Famers, and to have them in their final season before they retire, uh, put them in the All Star game, and obviously had uh, Albert Pujols a part of the home run derby, and he actually made it to the second round. How about that? Uh, so then he was very competitive. I mean, not didn't come too far from beating Juan Soto in the semifinal. Uh, Soto actually ended up winning the whole thing. So uh, really good stuff, and I was proud to see Albert Pujols in his final season with that jersey on with the birds on the bat. And, and I just think, man, it, it, that, that is the best and really should be the only way that dude should uh, finish his career in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. Just really proud of that. I'm a huge Cardinals fan, man, big time. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk some more college football. We're going to get into my Around the SEC segment when Ball About the South continue. All right, y'all, we're back. Ball About the South, the 29th episode continues on. And before I get into my Around the SEC segment, I want to get in, go back a little bit and talk about USC and UCLA as they head into the Big Ten coming up here in the 2024 season. Um, again, look, I'm not, you know, naive or crazy enough not to see that these kids aren't amateurs anymore, that this is basically a professional sport, especially when you look at it from the, uh, power five level, but man, let's think about what USC and UCLA is going to have to do, you know, just football, think about football and basketball, football, they, you know, you're talking about eight, at least eight conference games, more than likely it's going to be nine. Uh, and then who knows? There may be ten if they go to if they uh, add a couple more schools or even get it to twenty schools, right? Because right now the Big Ten will be at sixteen. Uh, you're talking about three or four trips at least to the eastern part of the U.S. Well, I mean, if they're playing Nebraska, obviously, I guess if they do it. Uh, they probably would put Nebraska and Iowa and uh, Wisconsin in their um, division or whatever. So that would be that would kind of even things out a little bit. But there would be trips that they'd have to take um, to Penn State, to Maryland, <laughs> to New Jersey to play Rutgers. Uh, you know, though, you know, Ohio State. All of those schools are in the Eastern Time Zone. So, I mean, to me, it, comp- 
to me, it becomes at least a little bit of a uh, competitive disadvantage for for UCLA and USC. And, and you know, that's just football. Think about basketball. Think about playing an eighteen game or maybe twenty game or so <laughs> conference schedule, and you're sitting there talking about. You know, obviously. You play, uh, just like in football, USC and UCLA obviously would play a game against each other. So that would, you know, that obviously that would not be a long road trip. But you sit there and then you look at basketball, they would probably play each other twice. So let's just say it's an 18-game schedule. You take those two games out and you, uh, so, but you still have seven games on the road where you have to go you know, completely out of the out of the Pacific time zone. I just, man, I just, I don't know, man. I I, I, just, I just think that uh, creates a little bit of a comparative disadvantage for UCLA and USC, especially right now while both of them are down in football. Obviously, everyone thinks USC is going to make a come up. Uh, they could make a come up this season. We'll see. Uh, obviously, I think they'll be better under Lincoln Riley. But like I said, I just, I don't know, man. Something's telling me it's not going to, I think I think a lot of people have that feeling that they're going to get this thing back to where Pete Carroll had it back in the um, early 2000s. And I'm just not seeing that right now. I don't know. I could be proven wrong. We'll see. But. For me, that's a, putting those two schools at a little bit of a disadvantage, in my opinion. And then, what about the non-revenue sports? What about the sports that really aren't generating money? Think about the travel that they're going to have to take. <laughs> I mean, again, obviously, this is going to be a huge payday for the Big Ten. I mean, I'm sorry, for uh, UCLA and USC going into the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten, you know, I think it benefits them, obviously, getting a market like L.A. Um, b- to be one of your con- the markets for your conference. Obviously, that is huge. You know, I don't know how often those <laughs> Californians are going to sit there and turn on Big Ten games. You know, I don't know how, ma- uh, how, many, of them are, how many of them are going to turn on Illinois versus Purdue. <laughs> You know, or you know, uh, Iowa versus Michigan State. I'm not sure how many of those people are going to turn those games on, but I think as a whole, obviously, you know, it should be a big payday for everyone involved. But you're talking about it on the field. I think it hurts UCLA and USC even more. I don't know. We'll see. Have to see how it goes. Uh, I think obviously the Big Ten. Uh, if the SEC goes to 20 schools or whatever, obviously the Big Ten is probably not going to sit there and just let that happen. Could the Big Ten say, well, you know what, uh, Washington, Oregon, since you guys are not, you know, I think pretty, I would say a pretty high commodity, um, probably a little bit less so than UCLA and USC, but I think if you look at the the Pac-12, Obviously, Oregon and Washington would be next in line. I don't think there's any question about that for another conference to pick them up. And it would make sense, in my opinion, that at that point for the Big Ten to say, okay, you know what? We need to help out UCLA and USC with this. You know, we'll give them uh, a, a couple more West Coast opponents to uh, play and put in their division. We'll put you guys in. We'll, you know, we'll bring you guys in to the big team. I think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, 
and then you could probably couple that with maybe a Utah or uh, maybe a Colorado or someone like that. And then obviously, you know, I'm sure the other team that the Big Ten would love to pull in. Let's just say they pull in those three schools. The other one I'm sure that they would love to pull in would be the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That would be a nice 20-team league. And, it, boy, you're talking about it spanning across the country. That would be great, but I I think it would make a lot more sense if you did it that way. And um, anyway, again, that's why I think being in the SEC is is just, I mean, you're, you're good right now, man. You go to bed at night and you can go to sleep easily knowing that whatever happens, you're going to be right there in it. I mean, <laughs> they had this alliance and now I guess the alliance is, is, is done. There's no going to be no alliance. I didn't understand why the Big Ten was ever trying to be in that alliance anyway. To me, the Big Ten should always have been right there with the SEC saying, okay, we're going to grab this school up. We're going to grab that school up. The Big Ten should never have been in some kind of merger with the ACC and Big 12. It just just should not have happened. I I, I don't get why they even put their name in that. (laughs) I just really don't. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think now, obviously, things set up really well. I mean, because I mean, look at this thing. Everyone wants to talk about the SEC, but the conference that has the big, the best TV deal right now is the Big Ten. And it's not even close. <laughs> it's not close. The SEC... It's going into this TV deal. They're getting ready to go on this thing with ESPN here uh, after this season or whatever, and that's going to knock CBS out. And, you know, by the way, I you know I hate to see it happen. I liked uh, the SEC being on CBS every Saturday. I liked it because it was exclusive. The SEC was exclusive to CBS except for a couple games during the season, the Army Navy game, a bowl game, and maybe a Notre Dame game or something like that. Other than that, the SEC was exclusively on CBS. The problem with CBS was the, you know, that was the deal itself was the, the money that the, the SEC made off of that deal. I mean, just go on in and, and renegotiate that and stick with CBS. Why are we doing this whole thing with it? With, ESPN. I just don't get it because you, you sit there and you look at the SEC and the ACC for that matter. Neither one of those teams, no, I'm sorry, neither one of those conferences even own their network. Not even a piece of it. The Big Ten owns 50% of the Big Ten network from what I understand. They have Fox <laughs> and they're on ESPN. <laughs> the Big Ten's TV network is much, much better than the SEC. Now, obviously, I think it's going to, uh, once this TV deal goes into effect next season for the SEC, it's going to even out a little bit. But I still, in my opinion, with, with lean Big Ten is having the better TV network, uh, the TV deal. And, uh, you know, I just, I just don't get it from the SEC standpoint as far as that goes. But like I say, man, this is this is huge for the Big Ten at, uh, adding those schools there in L.A. and then moving forward, they go to 20 schools. I think they're going to be set. 
I think you look at the SEC. I like it though because you can go to bed at night and say, "Look, we're good. We know we're you know even if you're Vanderbilt, in my opinion, I think you're good. <laughs> okay, I just really do." And you can sit there and go to bed at night. You know what? We don't have to necessarily travel completely out of our time zone, completely two, three thousand miles uh, across the, uh, across the nation to play a conference game. Yeah, you got Texas A&M, Texas. Okay. And if you're in Florida, that's a long trip. If you're South Carolina, it's an extremely long trip. There's no question about that. If you're Kentucky, you know, those are kind of the schools are kind of on, on the outer, the eastern, uh, more eastern parts of the SEC or whatever. But now you're sitting there talking about adding Virginia, North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson. All of those schools are within your, your within the southeast footprint. So, yeah, it, it, everything is still pretty much regionalized. So I, I think you know, you're SEC man, you gotta love that. In my opinion, I, I just think you know. Again, I'm thinking ahead just a little bit. We're talking about realignment, but obviously it's coming. It's coming faster than I think it, a lot of us probably thought that it would. And uh, again, I think the SEC is going to be at the forefront, and the Big Ten is trying to make sure that they're going to be right there as well. The question is. Everybody in between, everybody behind those two conferences, how's this thing going to shape up? Because you sit there and look at it, if they, if they go to 220-team uh, leagues, that's 40 teams right there. <laughs> if we go to – if there's a third league, there's going again, there's going to be some schools left out of this thing. They're, they're going to be flat left out. And, you know, I, I can't identify exactly who those schools would be but I can throw a few out there right now that I could say, you know what, you know, you going to bed at night is not going to be as easy as someone in the SEC or the, or the Big Ten. I mean, uh, you know, a school like Wake Forest, a team that was in the ACC championship game last season. I mean, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if a, a conference, if the ACC – Again, I think the big thing for the ACC is to find a way to get Notre Dame to, to come into that league. I just don't see it happening. I think Notre Dame could go into a league, but if it happens, I think it's going to be the Big Ten or the SEC. I just I just don't see them going to the ACC. And if they don't, and you sit there and you look at losing Clemson, Florida State, and all those schools that I talked about, I I I think the ACC is in big big trouble. I just really do. So, school like Wake Forest, and then you think about all those schools like Central Florida that thought they were really making a big move up. And I'm not saying that they didn't make a move up by getting into the Big Twelve, but man, that that would be a huge blow to those schools: Central Florida, Cincinnati. Houston, again, we're talking about the Cincinnati Bearcats. They were just in the playoff last season. I mean, what would it mean for them? Do they get into this uh, 
uh, whatever this mega conference deal that we call it, the 60 teams or whatever it is, whatever it turns out to be, do they get in? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy stuff. And that's, you know, again, these are some of the reasons that I don't like what's going on in college football. I'm, I'm fine with keeping it kind of the way it is with, you know, the hundred and something, whatever schools. And every now and then you have a, a team, a school like Cincinnati can make a, get up and actually make a playoff. I don't see what's wrong with that. I don't, you know, if you're talking about scheduling, you know, the problem with scheduling. Well, I mean, look, uh, for example, Alabama, Alabama has been playing these, uh, uh, non-conference neutral site games basically ever since Nick Saban came to town. You sit there, they played Clemson and Virginia Tech and they they played uh, USC and, and Michigan. They, you know, all those schools, Florida State, they played in these games, whether it be in Atlanta or Dallas or whatever. And now those games don't have quite the appeal that they used to have. So I think now and Nick Saban and Alabama's kind of recognized this, so they're like, look, you know, now you sit, you sit there and look at the future for Alabama. This year, they're going to Austin, Texas to play the, play the uh, Longhorns. Now, Alabama has not played a true non-conference game against a uh, Power 5 opponent since 2011. That was against Penn State. And this is going to be the first time that Alabama's done that. So a lot of people starting to get down on them for that. Alabama's delivered, and Alabama's not the only school that's doing it. In Oklahoma, Georgia, uh, I think Alabama has a series with Oklahoma. Well, they would have had one. Now, now obviously, Oklahoma's going to be in the SEC. But, you know, Alabama had Texas, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, I think Penn State, all coming up within the next 10 years where they would play a home-and-home -home, uh, series or whatever. And there's some other teams as well. And they, there are other schools around the SEC doing the same thing. Georgia, uh, I think I've heard about Ohio State has a series coming with Notre Dame or someone like that here in the future. This all around the country. So we're seeing the schedule be amped up with these Power 5 schools. We're already kind of seeing it here uh, in, in future years. So I'm just I'm not really understanding what the problem is if they're going to be playing eight, nine, ten games against conference foes. They're only going to have two or three games left, and if they're playing one game against a, a good Power Five team, I don't see what the issue is. Just keep things the way they are, and at least some of these smaller schools can at least have a little bitty sliver of that pie every now and then, maybe. At least we could see them play against each other, right? Which brings me to this. When we talk about <laughs> power fives, and then we talk about group of five schools, what about the FCS schools in this thing? I mean, sit there and think about this, man. <laughs> okay, we got Jackson State right now. We're talking about the HBCUs, the FCS schools as well. Um, there was a question asked of Deion Sanders at SWAC Media Days, which were which were here in Birmingham the other day. He's gonna he was asked a question about playing the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm gonna roll this tape right quick. Hey, 
They potentially play Jackson State. What does that no, mean no, to you? No, he's not going to play us right now. We're not ready for that. No, no, not what's saying. We're not into sacrificing our kids to get a check. Uh, he got to give me another year. I got to get beef up in the front. The difference of, of, of Power Fives and HBCUs right now, those big guys in the middle, it's not the quarterbacks and not the receivers and DBs of the skill position, but those big dogs in the middle. We, we got to beef up that to be able to compete with something like that. Okay, that was Deion Sanders, like I said, here at SWAT Media Days in Birmingham the other day. And talking about playing Alabama, of course, he's saying that he doesn't want to play Alabama until he gets um, a little bit strong on the line of scrimmage, you know, basically up front. And I, and I get that totally. Um, you know, I would love to see Jackson State get to a point where he would be feel that they would be ready to play in Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or LSU or someone like that. I, I would love to see that. Um, and he, I think he has the, uh, cushion. <laughs> he, he, he has a little bit of a cushion there with, um, uh, to be able to say that a, a lot faster in my opinion than some of the other HBCU coaches, because you sit there and you look at Jackson state. I mean, you know, this, this school, they're talking about averaging 50, 60,000 people at their games this season for their home game. So, and no other HBCU, really no other FCS, in my opinion, can come close to that. So when you're sitting there looking at it from that standpoint, I, I get what Dion's saying. <laughs> I, I really do. I mean, you don't have to do anything for a chick. Uh, I, I, I'm not really understanding. I'm gonna tell you. You know, I'm not. I can't, I'm not gonna say that he really said it here, uh, in this clip or whatever. And maybe this is what he was alluding to. Maybe it was not. The thing I, I'm not really understanding, though, is, you know, saying that, you know, I don't want to get us, put my boys into that kind of situation for a chick. And I see a lot of people talking on social media, you know, HBCU circles talking to them, you know, why should we play a predominantly white institution or whatever? And I get that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. And it's, you know, they're saying it's like it's kind of selling out to those institutions or whatever. Uh, and, and then uh, there's, there's the notion that uh, the players and the HBCU players could get hurt. You know, look, it's football. You can get hurt in any game. It's football, man. I mean, at the end of the day, it's football. You know, and Dion said it. Up front, no, they cannot hang with a school like Alabama or Ohio State or someone like that. They can't. Okay? But the skill level positions, I think they can on a lot of in a lot of ways. And obviously when you sit there you look at Jackson State the way they've recruited the last couple of years, I think that's absolutely true. But this notion that HBCUs shouldn't play these uh Power Five schools or whatever. To me, I just I'm just not understanding it. If you want to say, you know, if it's your opinion that 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 they're selling out by doing that, then that's fine. That that's that's your opinion and everything. And I'm not sitting there telling you that they need to. I mean, I wish it was a different situation for the HBCUs. I wish they didn't have to sit here and talk about playing a team like Alabama or Ohio State or Texas or somebody like that and then take a beating just to get a, a big check. 
But the point of the matter is that those checks have helped <laughs> pay some bills. Okay? But here's the other, here's the other half of that. These these kids that are playing with these HBCUs, just because they're playing with HBCUs doesn't mean they can't play with those dudes at these, you know, at these higher levels. They play with them in high school. They played against them in high school. Okay, I mean, I I don't understand that. Just because they're in HBCUs don't mean that they don't they didn't play at some of the better high schools or whatever across the country. Especially here in this part of the country, here in the southeast, since this is predominantly where all the HBCUs lie. I mean, come on, dude, really? <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see them get a shot at some of these big-time guys sometime. Maybe Jackson State or maybe Florida, maybe FAMU or someone someone doesn't win the game. But how, maybe that wide receiver goes out and gets 100 yards against Georgia or something. Maybe that quarterback throws for uh, 300 yards against Alabama and, and puts a little scare into them or something something like that, even though they don't win the game. I just, I, I just don't get this notion that these HBCU players, and I'm not talking about the schools, or the, I'm not talking about the teams themselves. Obviously, we know the teams aren't on that level, but some of these players are. And Dion basically just said it right there in that in that statement, and I, I don't understand why they should be scared to play against a Power Five school. And I, I would think they would relish the opportunity. <laughs> and again, I think it would be another opportunity for them, for them to get some tape on them for the NFL to look at. And by the way, I mean, which I think another good thing that happened here this past week. CXFL had a uh, camp there at Jackson State. The XFL is really committed to uh, putting a lot of HBCU guys into that league, which I think is going to be a huge positive. Of course, we've seen some uh, HBCU HBCU guys go through the USFL as well. So, uh, you know, again, whatever avenues we have to take uh, some of those kids to get them to the NFL, uh, we need to look at. I don't think there's any question about it, but Dang, that was you know that was a uh, <laughs> Dion kind of acting a little gangster right there, man. Because he and he can do that because he is I mean, again. We're talking about Jackson State playing at home and I mean probably playing to an average of fifty thousand fans this season, which is going to be incredible. It was incredible seeing those crowds last year as well. Unpopular opinion though. Uh, well, we have to see Dion kind of step it up with his. Uh, I understand he was not on the sideline for a long time there last season. I don't know, man. I, I Jackson State was a little bit disappointing to me. As good as they were, you look at some of those games that they played. They were really fortunate to win a few of those games. I I, I expect a little bit better from Jackson State. I just I do. That's that's an unpopular opinion, probably you know whatever, but. Uh, I think that uh, we should see a little bit better. I, the expectations should be sky high for this Jackson State football team, and with good reason with the recruiting that Deion Sanders has done there. And you have to applaud everything that he's done there to get HBCUs on the map. Um, so you know, you look at that. Uh, I want to, you know, really want to give a shout out to. 
uh, this um, YouTube channel, uh, Off Script TV. I think it's Off Script TV or something like that. Uh, I want to give a shout out to them because they asked some big time questions. They had a presence there at SEC Media Days in Atlanta, and they asked a lot of questions about uh, those schools in the SEC and their relation to uh, the HBCUs, the SWAT, uh, obviously. Um, and would they play them or would they be uh, committed to playing a game against a SWAT school? Uh, and one of those iterations I'm going to play for you right now. This is University of Florida coach Billy Napier in his first season. He's talking about the South Carolina State coach there and in his admiration for him. I'm going to play this right quick for you. Down at South Carolina State and what they produce down at uh, South Carolina State as well. Yeah, no, I, I always will be indebted to Buddy. You know, gave me my first uh, full-time job coaching the quarterbacks and calling plays. And, and, you know, to this day, if I get into a tough spot, you know, he's a guy that I can pick up the phone and call. Just tremendous wisdom, right? Not only his experience with Brad Scott and Lou Holtz, but just being a high school coach. Uh, he's a great leader. He's got a great pulse for his team. He has the ability to connect. Um, the guy's a legend if you've been around the guy. I mean, I can see why he's had the success he's had. And, you know, that experience shaped my career. There's no question it made me better. Uh, and I'm thankful for it. All right, y'all, that was Billy Napier, and uh, he is the new head, co head football coach at uh, the University of Florida. And I thought that was cool, uh, his admiration for Buddy Pugh, the, the legendary head coach there at South Carolina State, uh, you know, saying he gave him his first job and uh, still contacts him on a regular basis for uh, guidance here and there. Thought that was really cool stuff, and it was real cool. A really cool question, I think, by the guy there with Off Script uh, TV. I you can find them on YouTube. I'm going to be real with you. I was not aware of them before. I was kind of looking at media days and kind of getting some ideas for stuff to put on the show today. And I was like, man, that was pretty cool. And they asked also asked Nick Saban about whether or not he would be willing to play. Uh, HBCUs or uh, here in the state of Alabama and Nick Saban responded well he would be very much in favor well I, I can't see it <laughs> because you know I've been following Alabama football a long time and I've never seen the University of Alabama play in HBCU I've never seen Alabama play a team within the state of Alabama that was not Auburn I've never seen it. And I think it's, you know, it's it's probably my biggest pet peeve. I am the biggest Alabama fan that you can find. And it's my biggest pet peeve, man. I, I have no idea why they are not doing it. I get, I guess, to a degree why they won't play UAB. Obviously, that is a huge topic in this state all the time. But. Uh, the only time, you know, they did meet in basketball one time, and UAB actually won that game. It was the NIT. It wasn't a scheduled basketball game. <laughs> okay, so, you know, and I think that's, as UAB has gotten better, I guess I understand why Alabama doesn't want to do it because, you know, I guess they really don't have to. 
But in terms of playing FCS competition, they're doing it anyway. They're bringing in a Mercer or someone like that at least once once every season. And then that, I don't know how much money, with eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, million dollars or whatever that they pay them, is going out of the state. Why not keep that money in the state? Why not play in HBCU from here? Why not play Alabama State or A&M? Why not play uh, an FCS school like Sanford or Jack State? Now, they may not want to play Jacksonville State because Jacksonville State has been doing do. <laughs> They beat Ole Miss a few seasons ago. They won at FSU last year. But you get the picture. You get the idea of what I'm trying to say here. There's no reason. Auburn's done it. Auburn's played every one of those schools that I just named. Auburn's played UAB. Auburn's played, uh, I don't know if they played Jack State. I take that back. I'm not sure if they played Jacksonville State or not. But I know they played Sanford. They've played Alabama State, HBCU. They've played Alabama A&M, HBCU. So why does Alabama not do it? And if Nick Saban's very much in favor of it, then who's, who controls the schedule at the University of Alabama? Why can't he go ahead and schedule it? <laughs> I don't know, man. I thought, you know, curious answer by Nick Saban there, in my opinion. Uh, I thought it was an excellent question. And he asked that question uh, of Mississippi State's coach and uh, uh, Mike Leach and of uh, uh, Lane Kiffin there at Ole Miss as well. And they're, you know, I think both of them said that they would be willing to do so or whatever. So I don't know. I'm talking a lot about scheduling and conference realignment and all that. Not really getting to anything on the field necessarily. I think some of the big topics when you sit there and you look at SEC Media Days this past week were uh, once you get past Nick Saban and the Jimbo Fisher thing, which Nick Saban, I don't think, was asked one time by the media about the Jim Fish, uh, the Jimbo Fisher <laughs> fiasco. But Jimbo Fisher was asked several times, like in the first five minutes of the question-answer period. So that was kind of interesting, I thought. I think, you know, uh, obviously, you sit there and you oh, excuse me on that. I think a lot of uh, what everyone's thinking about is, uh, you know, Georgia. What what are we going to see from the Bulldogs coming off this national championship season? They were, uh, were finally able to get to that point, finally able to come through and win the national championship, finally able to beat Alabama. So what do they do next? How, how do they uh, follow that up? Uh, I think that's the biggest question going around. Obviously, they lost so much defensively. That's going to be maybe the biggest question. But offensively, I think they should be good. They have all those tight ends, guys like Brock Bowers and all those dudes. Um, Then they have a returning quarterback in Stetson Bennett. Obviously, that was very interesting in (laughs) in media days as well because you sit there, you look at Georgia fans, Georgia fans – I think a good majority of them are not comfortable with Stetson Bennett being the guy again. They wanted someone else. I really do. And and you hear them on some you know talk radio shows, and I see them on social media, and it's just like, man, are you kidding me? I don't understand it. I would not want – if I've got a seasoned – guy that just delivered a national championship even if I even if I had a seasoned guy that did not 
win a national championship. I think I want the seasoned guy. If he proved that he could win games, I want him in the lineup. You know, there are some, you know, there are some uh, examples of where uh, a kid has come from out of nowhere as a freshman or as a first-year starter or whatever and taken the team to a national championship game or won a national championship. I mean, look, Bryce Young kind of did it last year to a degree, but Bryce Young had been on campus a full season before last season, and he actually – in the COVID season, he actually got playing time behind Mac Jones. I mean, it wasn't – it was garbage time, but still, he, he played, okay? Uh, you sit there and you look at, you know, Trevor Lawrence. This is one that comes as an example, I think, of a guy that won in his first season. They won the national championship. I think that was, what, 2018. Um, other than that, man, you sit there and you look back. Uh, last year, Stetson Bennett. He had experience. The year before that, Mac Jones. Yeah, okay, he hadn't started, but he had been at Alabama for three years. He had experience. Okay, the year before that, 2019, Joe Burrow. Are you kidding me? 2018, Joe Burrow played a full season at LSU. Uh, you know, and I can go back. Deshaun Watson, same thing. Deshaun Watson played in the national championship game and lost in 2015. And then that set him up to win it in 2016. So what is the issue with Georgia fans not wanting Stetson Bennett to come back and try to do this thing again? You have enough weapons offensively that uh, it, it shouldn't matter. I mean, you don't you don't need Aaron Rodgers to be your quarterback. <laughs> okay, you don't need Lamar Jackson. You just need a guy that's gonna get you, get get the ball where it needs to go, and hopefully not make a lot of mistakes, and then wait for the defense to kind of jail. Because even though the defense is young, you know it's talented. And look, I mean, <laughs> I can see Georgia maybe losing once before um, we're talking about the SEC title game. If if Georgia's playing well, if they're doing what they're supposed to do. Georgia maybe loses one game. If that's the case, they're going to be right back in, in Atlanta playing for the SEC championship more than likely, and then they'll have a chance to get back into the playoff. I'm not, I, just, I'm, I'm, um, I just don't get Georgia fans with this Stetson Bennett thing, man. I just don't get it. <laughs> I like experience. And you sit there and you look throughout the SEC. I like teams that have experienced QBs coming back. You sit there and you look at the West. I think it's very interesting because you sit there and look at the the quarterback situation at Auburn. Okay, you got Zach Calzada looking maybe like he could be the guy. He was the guy at Texas A&M after Haynes King went down with injury last season. Calzada's the guy that beat Alabama. Okay, so now he's in Auburn. Well, <laughs> Bo Nix is going to Oregon. We all know that. But then there's T.J. Finley behind him. So which one of those guys gets the job? T.J. Finley, of course, played at LSU. LSU has their own battle going on. They have the transfer from Arizona State, who's the athletic guy. Then they have the guy, the guy, Miles Brennan, who I thought probably should have been the guy last year behind Max Johnson, <laughs> who now is at Texas A&M. Did you get all of that? 
so for me, I, I'd rather be Georgia. I'd rather be Alabama, knowing who my quarterback is. I'd rather be Kentucky, knowing who my quarterback is. Will Levis. I, and I'd rather be Tennessee, knowing who my quarterback is. Hendon Hooker. I'd rather be Arkansas. And that's another, that's a team that's come up a lot. Because everyone's asking, who's going to come in second in the West behind Alabama? For right now, for me, man, you know, while Texas A&M obviously is going to be a good football team, they will be a candidate to do so. LSU could be a candidate to do so as well. For me right now, I don't know that it's not Arkansas. They have K.J. Jefferson coming back. I mean, for me, I just think that makes a difference. K.J. Jefferson was one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Now, I know he lost Traylon Burks uh, to the NFL, to the Tennessee Titans, by the way. Uh, but I think he has some other weapons out there. And the job that Sam Pittman has done there in Fayetteville has just been incredible. Incredible job. So, you know, why you sit there, why we sit there and look at this, this quarterback situation, which I think is just insane in the SEC. I think it's one of the years that the SEC has some really good quarterback play coming up. I really do. But then again, it's it's kind of a question mark. It may not be. I think it's going to be good, but I could be I could definitely be wrong about that because we have so much um uh in doubt right now about who's going to be the starter at so many places around the league. It's crazy. So, um obviously you know, look you look at the media, they picked Alabama to win the SEC again. They uh picked Georgia behind them as far as the teams to win the actual SEC. I think Alabama was picked to win the, the West, of course, and I think the team that they picked second was Texas A&M, which I get that. I see that. Uh, again, I right now, I think I'd lean Arkansas. I really do. The one thing about Arkansas, unfortunately, though, is their schedule. Their schedule is brutal. It is loaded. That would be the thing that would hold them back. Maybe they don't finish second. They may actually end up being the second best team, but they may not finish second because of that schedule. So we'll see. Um, you know, so one other thing I wanted to mention before I end this segment, man, um, I want to get kind of spread my wings a little bit more. So I'm going to talk a little bit more ACC uh, football and things of that nature. Some of the, uh, group of five schools around here, the conferences like the uh, American and the Conference USA or whatever. But I want to talk Clemson just for a quick minute before I go get into my next segment. Uh, Clemson, obviously, probably, I think is going to be the favorite to win the ACC. Um, Got some schools really starting to come up a little bit. Miami is looking really strong as far as, especially on the recruiting trail right now. They are killing it. Mario Cristobal is doing his thing. Um, I think you look at a couple other schools. Louisville is killing it on the uh, recruiting trail and all of that. But I think when you look at this season, I think Clemson's probably going to be the favorite. Um, Does that mean they get back into the playoff race, though? Uh, You know, you look at the quarterback situation, obviously – Uwe Angelale is the guy coming back. He has a lot of experience, but again, he 
he did not look the part last season for the most part. I mean, he was okay, but he was definitely a big, uh, much bigger still. Uh, he was a much bigger drop off from Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson than I think anyone really realized that he would be. And I think that was the thing that hurt them early in the season. And they kind of tried, they leaned on him a little bit too much early on. Then they kind of, you know, went back old school and said, okay, you know, we're going to go back to our running game. And the running game really uh, blossomed for them. The defense obviously was very good. And, uh, they were able to finish off the season pretty decent. Uh, obviously, not making the ACC championship game is a huge, huge uh, disappointment for any, you know for Clemson at this point. I think they'll find a way to get back in there now. But the question, like I said, will they get back into that national championship hunt? That is going to be the question to Clemson. We're going to talk a little bit more about them and the rest of the ACC as well. Uh, coming up here as we get ready for the college football season to start out, giving me a, a little bit more in-depth uh, what I see out of that league. Uh, maybe not quite as in-depth as what you get from the SEC here, but uh, we'll definitely start looking at some of those leagues, man. The AAC as well. And uh, and just obviously general look around college football as well. Anyway, man, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I'm going to come back with some NFL notes and talk a little NBA when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all. Ball About the South continues. We're going to uh, close it out with this segment. And let's get into a few NFL notes. Man, Deshaun Watson is in camp there for the Cleveland Browns. That is going to be an interesting situation right um, he's there right now, and now we're hearing about him suing the NFL. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a very interesting situation, to say the least. Man, I, I don't know. I mean, now you sit there and look at him being in camp. You, you wonder how long he's actually going to be there. It, it's looking like he's going to get off easy with this thing, which is, which is really crazy. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, Browns fans... You know that that's what they're looking for. They uh, obviously they they're kind of uh, throwing all their eggs into that Sean Watson basket. Um, we'll see how it turns out. I don't know. It's, that's going to be an interesting situation in Cleveland, with or without Sean Watson, to see how I don't know the chemistry and and just the overall feel on and off the field is going to be with that football team with the Deshaun Watson cloud hanging over them. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, Kyler Murray is now the second highest paid quarterback in the league. (laughs) He's making just a little bit more than Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson is right at uh, $46 million per year. Kyler Murray is making $46.1 million. I just, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, Kyler Murray, man, look, he's, he's shown that he has uh, the capabilities to be a really good quarterback in this league, obviously, but he took a step back uh, from midseason on last season. I don't think there's any question about that. And for Arizona to give him that deal, man, I don't know. All I can say is you better you hope things work out for him. That could be a lot of money wasted right there. I mean, but uh, obviously, Kyler Murray, I think, has the ability 
we'll see if he uh, we'll see if he lives up to it, man. That that is crazy deal right there. Uh, that you know, we still have not seen Lamar Jackson sign on the dotted line. Obviously, he's gonna be right up in there making money with Deshaun Watson and Murray and Aaron Rodgers and all those. You would think he would be right up in the middle of those of the pack. Maybe who knows? Maybe he goes above all those guys. I'm not really sure, but very interesting dynamic there in Phoenix with the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And then how about the 49ers? Basically, this is just you know, some NFL quarterback notes. The 49ers have granted Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, permission to seek a trade. That's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. And uh, I guess uh, while I think the transformation to or transition <laughs> to Trey Lance, it, it pretty much was, was going to be the deal anyway there in San Francisco. We know now that it's really going to be the deal with them giving him permission to seek that trade like that. So going to be interesting to see where Jimmy G ends up. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more as time goes on. But, uh, you know, it seems like Jimmy G's uh, – time in San Francisco is about to come to an end. Anyway, man, let's get into the NBA. A lot of interesting stuff going on um, despite the fact <laughs> this this uh, free agency period has been one of the quietest I've ever seen. And we knew it was going to be quiet because they're really, when you sit there and you look at just the free agent pool, there weren't, were not a lot of big fish. This is not the season for that. And, um, you know, you sit there, you look at Kevin Durant, that situation has kind of amped things up a little bit. You look at the Lakers and some of the things that they've done or tried to do or talked about doing, the Kyrie situation. Um, you know, now the Deshaun, uh, <laughs> not Deshaun, I don't know why I want to call Donovan Mitchell Deshaun all the time. Maybe, maybe it's just because I just got done with talking about Deshaun Watson. I don't know, but. The Donovan Mitchell situation moves on there in Utah. Where is he going to end up? Uh, we thought it was going to be the Knicks. And, uh, you know, now it's, Utah has this, man, big-time haul that they're asking. They're asking seven, eight draft picks from whoever they uh, send Donovan Mitchell to, which is just wild. And the same thing is, you know, basically the same thing Brooklyn is doing with Kevin Durant, I mean, now, in that situation, though, no, the Nets hold all the cards, man. Just like I said earlier in the in the show, man, they hold all the cards. I mean, they have Kevin Durant under contract for four seasons, so they can they can play some hardball here. And, and like I said, I don't think they have to worry about the James Harden situation where Kevin Durant is just going to, Get, you know, get overweight and, and just refuse to play, or, you know, and, and just basically force his way out. I don't think Kevin Durant's going to do that. So I think that, you know, I, I like the stance that Brooklyn's taking here. Um, speaking of James Harden, he is taking that cut. He is now going to be making, um, uh, instead of making north of $40 million or whatever, maybe close to $50 million, now he's going to be uh, taking that uh, contract cut or that pay cut to make 
uh, it's basically a two-year deal, $68.6 million, so 34 uh, and change per year, which is, you know, a significant cut. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure how much is going to help Philadelphia. Obviously, they should be able to add someone else. And you have to like some of the things you've seen from the Sixers so far this season well in this in this period of free agency and in, in the draft and everything I think you have to like what they've done they added to Anthony Melton from Memphis um, they added P.J. Tucker they've done a couple other moves here and there and now they have some room to maybe do something else um, I think you have to like the Sixers stance right here and you have to give we have to uh, <laughs> give James Harden credit for doing this uh, you know he says he is committed he is focused on winning a championship that he says that's all he wants to do now so and that's great but he's got to do everything else he's got to get his body in order okay he's got to uh, you know get his you know the, that mentality his mentality in my opinion to a degree has to change a little bit, especially when you get into the playoffs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other things James Harden needs to do, but at least he uh, has taken a first step at doing towards some of those things by taking a pay cut and allowing the Sixers to uh, explore other deals to make that team better. I think still the the, the wild card in all of this with Philadelphia is, is uh, Tobias Harris. I mean, I, I just... I'm not really sure how he's going to fit in with, this, with all of this. I don't know. I still think there's a chance he could get moved somewhere. If it's not now, maybe mid-season or so. I don't know. I I, I think for me, I think they should keep him. But I don't know. I, I just, I'm not really sure that he's uh, liking the fit with Harden and, you know, with Embiid and everything and him being kind of, you know, being third wheel at best and then you got Tyrese Maxey as well so uh, you know it's kind of an interesting situation for him in my opinion uh, maybe the biggest news over the last week or so has been DeAndre Aiden signing back with the Phoenix Suns which was obviously huge I did not think that was going to happen and but I, for the life of me I couldn't understand why Phoenix wanted to sit there and risk losing this dude I, I just <sighs> I just I never understood it. Now, if you're gonna say, okay, you know what, you trade him and you can get Kevin Durant in return, then that you know that maybe changes the dynamic a little bit. You know, but sit there and say, oh well, you know, we're just gonna lose DeAndre Aiden. I mean, who's gonna be your big after? Who's gonna be? You know, I think you have to sit there and think about some of this stuff. And we all know that they have some issues there with the coach. Uh, Monty Williams and everything. Uh, and I'm not sure what was what was going on in the playoffs. And uh, DeAndre Aiden was very upset that he wasn't getting the basketball, and, and obviously you could see it um, in some of those games where he was not focused on at all. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you hope that they can, can fix that. That was, I mean, that was very surprising to hear to even see and hear about some of those things that were going on in that locker room. I just thought that locker room was tighter than that. It was really surprising. It really was. 
Uh, I, I really did not. I didn't know what to make of that. And uh, so it's it's good to see that uh, DeAndre Aiden is back with Phoenix, and now it would be interesting to see if uh, what else they can do, maybe. Uh, to add a little more depth on that basketball team because obviously they're not going to be able to get Kevin Durant now. Um, Look at the Lakers, man. You know, they've been talked about here in the news lately. Possible trade with the Indiana Pacers, which I think makes a lot of sense if they can bring in a guy like Buddy Heald, a shooter. That's what they need. They need shooting. You know, I don't know about Miles Turner teaming him up with Anthony Davis. Not really sure about that one. But... um, it, that would make that is a competent move. I mean, it would, it would make some sense if you're the Lakers. Uh, you know, so we'll see how that rolls. Uh, and obviously, you know, like I said, like I started off the, the uh, episode, man, with uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, what is he going to deliver, man? I think, again, I, I, everything is there for this New Orleans Hornets team to uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Lord, I <laughs> call the New Orleans Hornets. <laughs> At least I call them a team that they used to be. The Pelicans, this whole thing with the Pelicans, man, it's going to be really crazy to see uh, Zion Williams and if, if he really can mesh with them this season and uh, take them that next step uh, where they can be in the pecking order in the West. I think right now, man, you know, and I'm hearing that Golden State is exited themselves from the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, which I think is a smart move. I didn't understand why they want to give up their whole future for Kevin Durant at this point in his career. I didn't understand that. Um, So I think you look at the pecking order in the West, man. I think you look at Golden State, obviously, at the the top. And I think there's a little bit of a drop after that. I, I, I would probably still... With DeAndre Aiden coming back, I would still say Phoenix. I mean, I you know I won't be able to say it with my full chest, but I would say Phoenix still. And then behind those those teams, man, you know, you know Denver with uh, Murray coming back would, would be interesting. But you can't tell me that uh, the Pelicans can't hang with some of those teams, the Mavericks. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think the I think the Pelicans would be right there if uh, Zion Williamson is one hundred percent. You get that guy, and he does what he we know that he can do to go along with everyone else on that basketball team. I, I really believe that. So we'll see if he, you know, again he signed the seal. We'll see if he delivers to those capabilities. Could be some really exciting times in New Orleans. Another team I kind of forgot in that pecking order would be the Memphis Grizzlies just right up the road up Interstate 55 from New Orleans. Can't forget about those guys. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, man, so that's a quick look at the NFL and the NBA. Obviously, we're going to get deeper, a lot deeper into the NFL here really shortly as training camps are beginning. Rookies are reporting. Uh, The veterans will be getting in there starting I think next week or whatever it's about to be real it's about to be real and hopefully you will be balling about the south with me C. Wood through the entire football season anyway my name is Kerry Wood call me C. Wood for short at C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me 
And uh, this has been a great episode, I think. Episode 29 of Ball About the South. I want to appreciate. I want to say that I appreciate you guys joining in and listening. And follow me on social media. Like, subscribe, do all those things. Until next time, I'm C. Wood, and I'm out.